Welcome to the LifeHouse Church Podcast. LifeHouse is a church that exists to invite all people to live an uncommon life by following Jesus, doing life together, getting in the game, and leaving a legacy. We hope that today's message helps you grow as a follower of Jesus, gives you perspective to see yourself and others differently, and inspires you to make a difference in the world around you. Now, let's get to this week's message. All right, LifeHouse, y'all ready to dive into God's Word today? Everybody awake, you got your coffee, got your Starbucks, got your caffeine. Oh, Jesus, this is going to be one of them service, service services. Okay. Because every, every, every Sunday, we need the Father, Son, the Spirit, and coffee. It's the Trinity plus coffee, okay? So, uh, hey, so, hey, stand up with me one more time. We're going to say a prayer before we dive into God's word today to prepare our hearts, minds, and spirits today. And I love preaching God's, God's word. What a great honor it is. And I just want to appreciate just how serious as a church we take God's word. Because I believe today that lives can be changed, mindsets can be shifted, perspectives can be shifted, that God can literally transform you, not because of what I say, but because of what he's doing in you. All right, so here's the deal, right? I have a prayer on the screen behind me. This is just a way to kind of get us reset, kind of get us focused on what God wants to speak to you today. And so right now, if you feel comfortable, lift up hands, and we're just going to say, say this prayer together as a corporate church. Father, thank you for your love. Jesus, Thank you for showing us the way and making a way for us to be in relationship with God. Spirit, you are here and you are willing to speak, change, convict, guide, reveal, and comfort. Have your way as we hear your word today. And everyone said, give someone a high five and you can have a seat. And we're going to dive in. We've been in a mini-series called Jesus and Serving that's kind of a part of a bigger series that we have been doing called Jesus and. And actually, before I dive in, I want to take time and welcome all of our church online family. Lifehouse here, can we just welcome all those joining us online? So glad that you are with us today. We, we love you. You are a part of our church. And if you are watching and you are local, we would encourage you to come and check us out here at the Regal Kiln Creek 9 and 1045 on Sundays. That would be awesome. But we've been in the series Jesus and, and we've been in a, a, uh, a, a smaller series within this series called Jesus in Serving, looking at the life of Jesus and how Jesus served. Because one of the main reasons why we, that, I, that we're diving into this series, we're, we're, gonna probably, you know, we're probably going to be doing this for over a year, because we need to look at the life of Jesus. Because, uh, you know, we, we can know Jesus, but sometimes we don't read about Jesus, so sometimes we don't know how Jesus would actually act in certain, in certain situations. So we're just going and we're just taking time and studying the life of Jesus. Because here's kind of one of the big concepts of this series. Jesus didn't do what Jesus did simply because he was Jesus. Jesus did what Jesus did because he was filled with the Holy Spirit and formed by a rhythm of life. Meaning Jesus was able to do what, because we can say, well, he's Jesus, of course he healed people. He was Jesus, of course he, he did this. And that's what many of you prob probably think. Jesus did the stuff Jesus did because he was Jesus. But we forget Jesus set aside his godness, his divinity, and put on a human body and was exactly like us. So what we see Jesus doing wasn't because he was God, it wasn't because he was Jesus. It was because he was filled with the Holy, same Holy Spirit you and I have the same access to. And he had a rhythm of life that helped shape and form him to be a certain kind of person. So do you know what that tells us? Jesus is possible. For those of you who think I could never be like, be like Jesus, the truth is you'll never be perfect, okay? So just take that weight off of yourself. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that we can't take steps to be like him. 
And one of the main steps we see that Jesus took is Jesus took the heart and the, the heart posture and life action of being a servant. Which if anyone could have taken the path of just being served, it was Jesus. Because he actually deserved it. But he took his power, he took his privilege, he took his authority and didn't use it to dominate, he used it to serve. And this is what he's challenging us to do in this series. And one of the main ways we see that we studied a couple weeks ago that Jesus modeled this is when he washed his disciples' feet. John chapter 13, this is after he washed his disciples' feet. This is what he said. He said, and since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, the disciples' feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you a what? Example. This is what Jesus did. This is what Jesus' life was. He wasn't just Savior, Lord. He's our example. Gave you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. And after he did this, he was explaining to his disciples a couple verses down in verse number 17. He says, now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. How many of you, you want to live a blessed life? Well, just I just want to remind you, and I've said this multiple times because I feel like we need the reminder. Blessed in the kingdom of God is, blessed than being ble- is different than being blessed in the culture. We have to change scorecards, church. We have to change the scorecard from defining blessed from what the culture defines it as, and we have to switch it to being the way Jesus defines what blessed is. And Jesus defines blessed as not what you own or what you have or what you accumulate. He defines blessed as the kind of human being you are becoming. That's why you, you're, you, you could be broke, but if the trajectory of your life is becoming more of a person that serves according to the king of kings and lord of lords, you're blessed. To the culture, it might be like, man, that dude broke. But whose scorecard are you operating by? Right? We have to operate with the right scorecard because you can climb the ladder of success on the wrong wall. Got to make sure your wall is on blessed being defined by what the king of kings and lord of lords, Jesus Says, I also love, love too, and this is just a small kind of just like nugget here. When we look at the kind of person Jesus, Jesus became and Jesus was formed into, I think about how Jesus went through a period of straight anonymity, if that's the an, an, no, excuse me, anonymity. I think that's the word. <laughs> I promise I graduated college, I swear. <laughs> Where he had a season. Because you don't, you don't see nothing about Jesus' life from 12 years old to 30. 12 years old, you see him. He's in the temple, Luke, Luke chapter 2. He's in the temple. He's learning. He's asking questions. He's growing. He's got these grown men. Like, who is this kid in the temple asking these kinds of questions? This kid is smart. Right? So you see that's where kind of Jesus at 12 years old stops, but then you don't even see or hear anything in scripture about Jesus until he comes on the scene at 30 years old. Think about an 18-year period of Jesus's life that was in the dark. And the reason I feel like that I wanted to share that is because I believe the fruit we see in Jesus's life from the age 30 to 33, a lot of that came from how he handled the hidden season from 12 to 30. And what I want to just remind you is many of you feel like you might be in a hidden season where you might feel like God has called you to more. He's, he's called you to greater influence. He's called you to a, to a greater purpose. And even at the job, whatever you're in, you feel like you're in this hidden season. You're kind of tucked away and you're like, why am I not being promoted? Why am I not doing this? Why I had this plan. And might I just tell you that you might be in a purposeful season of hiddenness. And even if you're in that season... How you handle the hidden season many times is how you handle 
the not-so-hidden seasons, Jesus. Because it's in those hidden seasons where you can build a foundation that will guide you and lead you. Whenever things get a little more, you get a little more out there. That makes sense? So don't negate or put away the hidden seasons that God has. We see Jesus, he set an example with serving. He said, you'll be blessed if you serve. And with this series, my heart has been, a, has been to develop in us a spirit, a heart posture to serve, but then an actual let's put feet to the posture we hope to see. And I just want to give you guys a shout out because in the past three weeks, we have seen over 70 people sign up to get in the game, to jump on a team at our church. We had team night Monday night, had, had over 120 people there and I just want to say thank you for those of you who have jumped on board. And I just want to encourage you, if you are a part of our church, if you call our church on one of the greatest ways to build community and to make a difference and, and to be known by someone else and for you to know someone else is to jump on a team and start to serve. So I love the fact of y'all aren't just hearing the message, you're putting feet to your prayers. Because ultimately what serving does, I don't know if you know, God doesn't need us. And I say that with love. Welcome to Lifehouse. If it's your first time, God doesn't need you. He doesn't need us, right? But he chooses to include us. He chooses to include us. He chooses to include us. He chooses to get us in the game. Jesus could have done, built the church all by himself. But Jesus came, started the church, and then left it to 12 knuckleheads. And said, hey, y'all going to carry this thing on. He empowered. He believed in it. And you see this idea that ultimately Serving God in some ways gives God something to work with. It's an action that God can take and do something with. And, you know, one of, one of the things that, that I have, I, I feel like in the past whatever many years, probably the past two or three years that I've learned, is that many times we don't want partnership with God. We just want God to be the, like, God to do everything. Um. You know, we have this idea that if we just pray, God will do it. And sometimes that is absolutely true. But many times prayer is identifying with God's will, and we then start praying God's will, and then we put feet or action to the prayers we pray. Because can, can I be candid? I, I don't want to be honest. Because so many people say, can I be honest? And I'm like, have you lied the whole time? Really? So instead of saying, can I be honest, it's better to say, can I be candid? Some of y'all can use that in your next work, in your next work meeting, okay? Um, can I be candid, okay? I, I believe this is why God doesn't answer some of our prayers. Because he knows you wouldn't be willing to do the work necessary to see the prayer answered. Because it's crazy, right? We can say, God, bless my finances. Are you ready to make a budget? Are you ready to stop buying things you shouldn't? Are you ready to maybe work a little more? Are you ready to have the wisdom to make some tough financial decisions, right? Lord, bless my marriage. Are you willing to stop acting like your marriage is all good and great and go and get help? Right? We can pray things. God, bless, God do it. And, and God's like, okay, I'll, I'll move when you move. Say, Lord, bless my children. Well, are you willing to spend time with them? Are you willing to work on yourself so you don't hand down the hurt that you have? 
Are you going to intentionally invest in them? Lord, help me, help me know you better, Lord. I want to know you. Are, you. are you willing to unbusy, slow down, and create margin to just be with Jesus? Are y'all here in my heart? We can have prayers and we can have desires, but God, just like a good parent, we, 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 want, our kids to, we want our kids to be partners. We just don't want to spoil them because normally when they're spoiled, they, they, don't, they don't appreciate it. And that's one of the hard things is God wants us to appreciate the growth. Israel, right? He said, Israel, you're going to go into freedom. You're tired of being in slavery. You ask God, where are you? Freed us. He freed them. But then he's like, y'all got to like get out the desert. Y'all got to actually move and you got to actually walk. Even on a corporate level, right? Say, God, bless our church. Grow it. Multiply it. Are are we going to get in the game? Are we going to have enough people to steward the growth that maybe God wants to give? Here's one. Give us a building, Lord. (laughs) How many people have said that one? When we get in the building, Pastor John, where's the building? Where's the building? And what I want to say back, and I'm just going to share it, are you willing to give? (laughs) And I say that because, like, we can want things and pray for things but not be willing to get skin in the game with it. Like God, many times God moves when we move. God wants your partnership. We can try to pray away calories that he wants us to work off. Next. uh, (laughs) We can pray away sicknesses that could be healed if we just change what we did with our time and stomach. We try to pray away financial struggles that could be taken away if we just had discipline. There are things that God wants to do, but he, he wants and needs, and what's best for us is our partnership. And really the truth is, guys, is that many times when we pray, we want the easy route. We want the easy route. We, we, we want God to do it all. And I just want to remind you, God's will is not always the easiest route. Some of you equate God's will with what's easiest. And we don't have to look too far, but look to the life of Jesus and realize how far-fetched that is. Because his will was him dying on the cross. And Jesus, in his own words, in Gethsemane, when he was there praying, and like, God, if there's anything you could do to take this away from me, do it. But he said, not my will, your will be done. That's, that's why prayer requires discernment. Because prayer might lead you to do the hard thing. And that's, that, is, that is why we have to not just pray from what we want. Because we all have different wants and needs and desires and paths we want to take. But that's why we, prayer requires even more listening than even it does asking. Prayer many times is let me get the heart of God and then I'll pray the heart of God. Instead of this is what I want, God, make it happen. Hurry up. Are y'all here in my heart? God wants partnership. Even that's one of the reasons why the core values of our church. When we say, and when we talk about core values at our church, we talk about ways we make decisions. So values drive decision making. So when we say as a church, we're blessed to be a blessing, we're saying, God, whatever you bless us with, use us to bless someone else with it. We live with, we live with open hands. When a value we have is we work as if it all depends on us and we pray as if it all depends on God. 
Meaning, God, we are not going to pray for things we are not willing to work for. But we are not going to work as a place in, in place of the necess- the I was going to say the necessity. That is not a word. I promise I went to college. The necessariness, I don't know what it is. That doesn't take away, the, excuse me, the responsibility. Just make up words, man. The responsibility for us to pray for things that work won't change. There are some things that are simply spiritual and that must be prayed out, not worked out. But then there are things that can be worked out that we try to pray out. So that's why it requires discernment. But, but the point is, is we don't, we're going to be a church that's not either or, it's both and. We're going to pray and work, work and pray. It's like two things on, a, two pedals on a bike. But when I think about what God desires, he desires partnership. You can even see this from the very beginning of creation in Genesis. God creates the world and then puts man and woman in the garden to steward it. He wanted partnership. I think about it, even the church, Jesus, like I said, started the church and empowered other people to do it. Think about even your life. Your life is not your own, y'all. You have been given life. God has breathed his life into you. And, I, and what I've heard it said is that God, life is God's gift to you. What you do with your life is your gift back to him. But it's partnership. Even C.S. Lewis, when talking about prayer, said this, for he, God, seems to do nothing of himself which he can possibly delegate to his creatures. He commends us to do slowly and bludgeringly what he could do perfectly in the twinkling of an eye. I think about the, the, the church Mother, St. Teresa, she, she penned this because she was an advocate to go out and be the hands and feet of Jesus and, and to serve the poor. She said, Christ has no body but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks, compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands, yours are the feet, yours are the eyes. You are his body. Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth, but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on this world. Christ has no body now on this earth, but yours. Do y'all hear the heart of that? There's so much that God wants to do in the world. And he will do as his church does it. But one of the ways we work this way of God, we partner with God is through the attitude and mindset of serving, and I'll just be honest, man, sometimes whenever we do things in, you know, in the community, it can sometimes feel like a drop in the ocean, doesn't it? So many issues, I mean, we're all aware of the issues locally and regionally and globally, and some, sometimes it can feel like every little thing we do with so little, is it going to make a difference, right? I mean, even in the church, right, what is serving one service going to do? What is watching kids one, one Sunday going to do? What is, what is greeting people as they walk into church one service? Like, what, what is serving? It is so small, is it going to make a difference? And I just want to remind you, we serve a God of the small. Because everything compared to him is small. Everything we do compared to what he does is small. But the good thought behind that is that even in the small, God takes our small and blesses it. I, I love what it says in Zechariah chapter 4. It says, do not despise these small beginnings for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. 
This is when the temple was destroyed. They were rebuilding the temple. And they were starting at a point where it was so small. And God said through the prophet, he says, don't despise the small work that is being done. Because God rejoices to see it happen. Don't negate or throw out the small. I love what even Jesus said when he was talking about the mustard seeds. He said, Jesus told them, I tell you the truth, if you have faith even as small as a what? Mustard seed. You could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. So many times I think we completely negate the the small because we think it's insignificant. Because I think, honest, honestly, many times we would rather, or let, let, me, let me say what I, kind of just a cultural analysis. Many times we, we do big things for a short period of time thinking that will make a big difference. So essentially we have seasons of intensity, but no consistency. And really what you see, even when you study I mean, there's books coming out, Atomic Habit, talking about the science of change and how we change and how we change the habits we do, the, which, you know, we change the mindset, which changes the habits. The habits shape and form us. It's not if you have habits, it's what kind of habits do you have. You can have a habit of having no habit. Right? And those things form us and shape us. But even when you study, you, you, what you find people saying is small things done over a long period of time make a big difference. We love the six-week challenge, 30-day challenge, six-week transformation from looking down and seeing blubber to looking down and seeing a six-pack. Six weeks. Give us six weeks, right? It's, it's like normally when you do the six-week challenge, you're really inspired, you're motivated, you do it, and then after the six weeks, you fall off. Season of intensity that is not laced with consistency. And what... Here's, here's not. A season of intensity is great, but a life of consistency is better. A, a, a life of spending five minutes every day in the presence of God is better than spending one week. It's better than spending one hour for one week with God, which is normally how we kind of think about it, right? I need an hour. I need quiet time. Could it just be you take the ride to work as being your sacred holy temple that you ride in every, every day? And that's going to be your time with the Lord, 15, 20 minutes every single day. This is my time with the Lord. And this time done over a long period of time is going to make a big difference in the way I see others, the way I see God, the way I see my world, and the way I see myself. It's giving God a little so he can do much. I mean, if you think about the concept of compound interest, which I think it was Einstein called the eighth wonder of the world. It's compound interest. And the whole theory behind compound interest, many of you are smarter than this in your finances, but you, you do the right thing over a long period of time, and you let the thing snowball. And so as you consistently set aside money, as you consistently invest, as you consistently over the long haul, it builds steam, it, it gains, and at the end of the day, you end up having putting a little bit aside, so at the end of the day, you have a large chunk of money. Let me ask you this question, and... and this is going to be a serious question, so I, I need you to raise your hand, okay? So what would you rather have? One lump sum of $3 million or a penny that would double in value every day for 31 days? So how, how many of you, 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 you want the three mil? 
You like cash out, baby. Day one, give me three mil. All right, we got some three millers here. I mean, that's three mil, baby. I'm paying off the house. I'm getting a storage shed for food for my boys because they're about to eat it. I'm so glad school is getting back in session. Praise God. So these kids can stop eating my stinking food, man. Praise God. You want that three mil, though? You know, you're like, give me that three mil. I'm, I'm good. Now, how many of you are like, give me the penny, double it for 31 days? So you have some, you, you can be patient for 31 days, right? And let it do its, its work. Okay, just to let you know that the penny doubled every day for 31 days eventually equals 10, like $10.3 million. And, and, and what, what does that show us? Is, is that like if, if you give a little bit time to work, it can multiply and it can compound in, interest. Three million is great for season of intensity, but it's the penny that just does the work that has the power and the potential to see something big. Little things on over a long period of time make a big difference. And what I'm trying to get to you today is that the compound interest mindset and truth is not just in the financial, it's in the spiritual. And some of you despise your little thinking God can't do anything with it. Many times because you are comparing. So even when you spend five minutes with God a day, you even feel guilty that it's not more. Can I just ask you by God's grace to maybe switch that mindset? And maybe stop thinking, well, I wish I could give God more and be thankful for what you are giving him. Now, I know some, some people in this room, you're like, well, if you were really serious, you'd give more time. And I get that. I do, but I don't believe shaming, guilting, and condemning are ways to change. Shaming yourself for spending a little time with God isn't going, you're not going to be shamed into spending more time with him. And I just want to let you know, if you want to see any person change, shaming, guilting, and condemning isn't the best way either. Because this isn't the way that God changes us. The way God, I mean, just think about what you celebrate in your child. You celebrate in everything small when they're small. Oh, he blinked. Oh. Evan, he blinked. Oh, amazing. He pooped a different color. You know, it's like we're celebrating everything. Every little thing. Step, you know, you know toes, they blink. One, I mean, they got a tooth coming in. I mean, we're looking and we're celebrating everything. Everything could it be that that is what God, how God is viewing you and us? And I'm not saying spend less time with God, I am saying be thankful for the time that you are investing with Him. Because as you're thankful for what you are giving, then that will make you want to do more. And what I'm trying to get to is, y'all, as a church, let's not despise the small. Let's see the small for what it is. It's small, but little in the hands of God is much. And, and as you spend five to ten minutes, just five to ten minutes with God every day, being, being aware, turning stuff off, and just focusing and being mindful of him, you don't know what that little seed will eventually lead into. You could get a piece of, of wisdom. There's been times where I've been in God's presence, and he's given me the answer to something that I had been seeking. I mean, 
you never know what can happen when you get in the presence of God, y'all. Never know. So let's give little things, then over a long period of time, have the potential and the power to make a big difference. I really felt today that there were some of you that are so discouraged with the small, you're ready to quit. And I, I just really felt to share with you Galatians 6, 9, which simply says this, like, the early church, man, they had a rough, rough road. Early church was persecuted. They were small. They were the outcast. In a religious culture, like in a religious environment that had many gods, they served one god. So they were the, they were the weirdos. And there was many times that they were a small little group, outcast, kind of a Jewish sect. They wanted to quit, and Paul wrote them, and he said, hey, y'all, just a reminder, let us not become weary in doing good for at the what? Proper. You know what that word could also be translated as? At the appointed time, the God-appointed time, the kairos time, we will reap a what? Harvest. Think about the way a harvest starts, y'all. A little seed. We'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. So I just want to encourage you today, if you're feeling like you want to give up on God because you feel like you're not doing enough for him, if you want to give up on your marriage, if you want, like if, if there's just an area that you're wanting to give up that you know God hasn't called you to give up on, but you feel like giving up because of how you feel, you feel like the little you're giving is not making a difference, I pray that the Lord today would give you a supernatural mindset shift. And you, instead of saying the Instead of seeing the little you are giving, you'd be thankful for the little you are giving and start to see who you're giving your little to. The one who can take the little and multiply it to be much. And that's what, what we see and what we're going to kind of close today with in John chapter 6, the story about Jesus feeding the 5,000. And when I think about serving and kind of what serving does kind of in a church environment even in your life in in your marriage in different ways it can seem so small and so insignificant but what i love about this story about jesus feeding the five thousand is it's kind of a bigger principle for us to see what god does with everything let's go ahead and dive into john chapter six this is what it says and john is one of the four gospels. Is one of the four gospels. I I always want to give you guys context before I read from certain scriptures in in the Bible, just so you can kind of be a little theology class, okay? Just so you guys can know the context. Because y'all, if if you read the Bible and you don't have context, con a text, a biblical text with no context is a pretext for a proof text. What what that simply means is if you don't know the context, you'll make it up, and you don't want to make it up. <laughs> You, you, you want to know, okay, so the book of John is one of the four gospels. It's one of the four eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life written from the perspective of one of the disciples, John, who John himself called himself the one that Jesus loved. When I guess you're writing the book, you can name yourself. He said, I'm the one that Jesus really loved. Um, but, you know, he was kind of Jesus' best friend. And one of the things we see, and this is one of the only stories that's in all four gospel, gospel, that's, in, that's in all four gospels. And so God bless you. And, and so let's go ahead and read this story and let's see what God has for us today as we're talking about the heart behind serving and the power of small. So it says, after this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. 
A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? And I love what this says next. He was testing Philip for he already knew what he was going to do. And just know sometimes Jesus will test you. There's a difference between tempting and testing. Sometimes he will test you while he's already got a plan. Okay? Philip, Philip replied, what I think we would all reply, uh, even if we've worked for months. So can you see Philip being the anxious one? So Jesus, like, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to, to feed them. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. See, Andrew's the one you want on your team. He's like, I ain't got a great answer, but I at least got, got, got one. I'm not panicking, but he says, hey, I got a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But then he's a little on the glass half empty side. But what good is that with such a huge crowd? Jesus then said, tell everyone to sit down. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered about 5,000. So that's important to note here. When we say the feeding of 5,000, it is just noting 5,000 men. That's not, that's not including women and children. Because only the men were counted. So just think about how many thousands of people that actually was. Then Jesus took, took, took the loaves. And what did he do? He gave thanks for what he did have. Instead of looking at what he didn't have. Okay? He gave thanks to God and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish, and they all ate as much as they wanted. I love this story because I believe it just encapsulates so much of what we do with people, as people individually and as the church corporately. Because so many, and I mean really, like even some language we've developed in our church that as we talk about what we do as serving even some one thing we pray is like, Lord, today on this Sunday, Lord, today at this event, Lord, today at what we do, take our five fish and our two loaves and multiply it. It's basically us saying, God, we ain't got a lot to give. But God, you can do a lot with a little. So we're going to give our five loaves and our two fish, Lord, to you. And then you're going to have to take this little bit that we give, and you're going to have to work it, multiply it, bless it, break it, so you can feed every single person that is here to receive. I pray that every sun Sunday. I mean, I can't speak to every one of you personally, but you know, but you know who can? The Holy Spirit. He knows your situation. He knows what you're walking through right now. He knows the feelings you feel, the anger you have, the unforgiveness you have, the, the, the lack of finances you have, the struggles you have. He knows all that. And I am not good enough to take a scripture verse, a couple points, in 35, sometimes 50 minutes. Okay, I'm working on it. And, and, and say things to give you specifically what you need every Sunday. When, when I preach, I'm giving God five loaves and two fish. 
And I have to trust and have faith that he's going to take my five loaves and two fish, bless it, break it, spread it, and hopefully feed you a little something, something. Every Sunday as a church, we get here, we set up, we set up kids in various, kids environments, we set up the hospitality environment, we set up this environment in here, we serve throughout the week, we have groups going on. Literally, it can feel as a church, God, with all the craziness, with all the brokenness in the world, with all the hurt, messed up people in this world, how can we as a church make a difference at all? But what we do is we take our five loaves, we take our two fish, we give it to him, we be faithful, we show up, we love, we serve, we pray, we give, we give it to him, and we say, Lord, take it, bless it, break it, and feed as many people as you want to feed. You have to be faithful to bless it. We have to be faithful to bring it. And this is not just church. This is life. Parenting feels like five loaves, two fish. Every day I'm like, Lord, I got five seconds of grace left. In two seconds, <laughs> y'all know what I'm saying. Some of y'all go to work like that. I got five seconds before I start cussing, and I got two seconds before I start choking. <laughs> y'all hear me? Y'all hear my heart in that, right? I'm not promoting any of that. If you're watching online, I'm not promoting none of that. But I'm just saying, this is, y'all, this is the way we feel. This is the way many times we go through parenting, we go through marriage, we go to our jobs, like we got so little to give. But if we can have a perspective, like, Lord, if, if, if we give you what we got, and then have the right perspective of the one we're giving it to, the Lord can multiply. The Lord will give you, even I love what Jesus prayed. He didn't pray, God, make sure I have all that I need for the next 30 years. When Jesus was teaching us how to pray, he said, give us today my daily bread. My daily. I, I remember asking one of, one of my pastoral mentors, how, how do I know I'm, I'm going to follow Jesus the rest of my life? He said, John, serve God today. If you serve God enough todays, you'll serve him till the day you die. Give him a day. That's what I want to encourage us to do is, is that we, you got five loaves, two fish, whatever you have. Don't despise. I love how Jesus said, I'm going to thank God for the little I have. And some of you, you need to start thanking God for the little you have. Because you know what, as Christians, unfortunately, we can be so bad at celebrating this week. Celebrating small victories, small wins. I celebrate last night I didn't eat ice cream. I want to give God praise for that. My wife buys the best tasting ice cream and puts it in the house and expects me to have self-control. I blame her. But I celebrate. I've been trying, Evan. It's this, what's it called, babe? What's this ice cream called? Tillamook. God bless it. Something anointed about that ice cream. I might have Chick-fil-A make, make this stuff? Like, what in the world? And I'm, 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 try, I'm trying to, shit, I'm trying to get some, I'm trying to see some ads, you know, it's like, so I'm, I'm like, Lord, just, I'm just saying no to ice cream for a day. And I, I want to celebrate that, right? So it's like, what, what if instead of condemning ourselves for the little we have, what if we started to celebrate the little we have? 
y'all, as you start doing that individually, I believe what shall, it'll cultivate an attitude of gratitude, which will then help you to see what you do have instead of what you don't have, which will then help you to see who you have, not just what you have. And then it, it, it will enable you to take the little you have, and then you'll slowly start to Just as Jesus said, the mustard seed's the smallest seed, but when the mustard seed fully grows, man, it becomes a tree that all kinds of birds can perch on. And that's what I believe is that we start celebrating the small, we start giving them what we have, he'll start to multiply, multiply what we give him. And that's just not personally for you, that's for our church family. As we all come together and we say, I'll jump on a team and I will serve and I'll give God my little five loaves and two fish of what I have. As we all do that corporately, I believe what God will do is he will entrust us with more. He will entrust us with more people because I don't want God to send any people here that we can't steward and love well. But that isn't just the Pastor John job, y'all. That is not just the staff job. That's an everyone job. We're the body of Christ. And I love what Jesus said, even while looking at what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 9, verse number 37 and 38. This is when Jesus, it says that, that he had a crowd. And, and I'm not sure who's coming, PJ, or who's on camera. But y'all can come up, man. I got to end this thing. Um. But this is a time where it says Jesus saw the crowds, and it said that they were like sheep without a shepherd. And it says he had compassion. Like he, because normally if, if, if we're going to meet a need, we have to see a need. And what I'm hoping is that God would help you start seeing with his eyes so you'll start to see needs. Because I know even when you come to our church, you see everything done, everything set up. Y'all, there is so much opportunity around here to, make, to get in the game and make a difference. But as he saw with, with compassion, and then Jesus said this. Then he said to his disciples, he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the what? Workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Isn't it crazy Jesus gives us specifics on what to pray for? He says, essentially, the harvest is out there. People are hungry, and that's what I don't, I don't think we actually realize. People are spiritually hungry for something real. People are hungry for purpose. Because what they're finding is all this joy and celebration and this indulgence they have is actually leaving them at a place of incredible emptiness. Because they're like, I've got the body I want, i got the house that I want, the car that I want, the woman that I want, the girl that I want, whatever. But why inside of me is they're still feeling like I'm not happy and I need something more? And I'm like, dude, because you weren't, this stuff wasn't created to fill an eternal God-like divine void that only God can fill. You can't take a square peg and fit it in a round hole. That's God. And what Jesus is saying here is like, yo, Yo, if, if, if people came in and said, hey, let's start to work for the harvest, it's there. And that's what I believe the Lord is doing at our church is he's getting the laborers ready so he can, so we can see the harvest. And harvest is not just about numbers, y'all, as y'all know that. It can be, but it's not the only thing because what we deem success at this church is not what we do or how much we have, but who we are becoming. And the harvest for this place is I am seeing steps of discipleship. That's what gets me hyped up. It's when I see people taking intentional steps to change. But some of you, you have to get in the game. You, like, you, you need to get in the game. And getting in the, in the game is jumping on 
a team because you don't know who could be on that team that you're going to form a friendship that's going to be iron sharpens iron. Here's the, here's the thing. I believe that as we do the natural, God's going to do the supernatural. That's what we see in this story. We see they, they gave Jesus a natural five loaves, two fish, and then he touched it with his super. We give the natural, he's the super. We give him the natural thing, watch him do the super. We give him the natural in your relationship, marriage, whatever. In that, the natural is we're going to go and we're going to see a therapist, a counselor, a coach to help us walk through the stuff we're going through. Watch God do the super. You got to work in your finances, it's amazing. You get a budget, you be disciplined, the supernatural happens. As we give God the natural, he does the super. I told you earlier, you, you can stand up with me. We're going to transition, we're going to close service today. Was that good, family? Was that helpful to you? We're going to have a couple, so this is the point of the service where we say, we're not done, okay? So this is the point of the service because it is literally where we say, come Holy Spirit. Lord, we've heard you speak, we've heard you talk, but now, Lord, we ask you to come. We ask you to show you, we, we ask you to put on our heart a response that we need to make to the word we've just heard today. And I believe that one of those responses today is some of you joining a team to get in the game. Did you guys receive one of those white cards whenever you walked in? No. Okay. Okay, well. Um, if one of the ways, well, actually, let's go ahead and put it up behind me. Yeah, you're going you're gonna to see this here. I believe that one of the ways that we can respond today is some of you need to take that step and do the natural so God can do the supernatural in our church. You need to join a team today. I don't care how young you are. I don't care how long you've been coming to our church. I don't care you say, I'm, I'm not qualified. Even you can see right over here, we've got misconceptions. You have, you have to be a perfect Christian. No, you just have to be breathing, okay? <laughs> right? We're, we're not going to put you in kids' ministry, okay? We're not, not going to throw you in there teaching kids, right? But, but getting onto, you don't have to be a perfect Christian. You have to serve every single week. No, typically we ask volunteers one or two services per month. Third, do you have to, you know, commit to serve for the rest of your life? No, you, you don't. We don't ask for blood samples. We don't ask for credit card numbers, okay? Uh, fourth, even if you've been coming to LifeHouse a couple months, a couple weeks, whatever, we say if you are here, there's an opportunity for you to get in the game. So as we sing our response song, and if you want to get in the game, my wife and I think we're going to have somebody on this side here, they're going to have those white cards. They Grab one of those cards and fill it out and then take it out to the lobby area, the Next Steps booth, and they, they want to give you a free shirt. Just, you know what I'm saying? Like, I think we got people here. If you have a pink shirt on, lift your hand up. Got a, yeah, we got one right there, a girl with her hat, hat backwards. She acting like she's she not hearing hear, hear me. I think that's Patty. We got Patty, Patty there with the pink on. We got the blue on. We got Jackie, Jackie there with the blue on. So we want to give you a team shirt and say welcome to the and, and say welcome to the team. We've got a spot for you. You fill that you fill that card out and then we will send um, and then we'll follow up with you and get you plugged in to serve. But also too today, I believe there's some of you here. Your next step is to let Jesus serve you.
And what do I mean by that? Jesus washed his disciples' feet as a symbolic act, saying, I'm just not going to wash your feet. I'm going to wash you clean from your sin. I'm going to take away the barrier to being in relationship with God, which is your sin. And I'm going to go and I'm going to die on the cross. But I'm not just going to die. I'm going to resurrect and defeat our greatest enemies, Satan, sin, and death. And some of you today, you need to make a decision to say yes to following Jesus. Yes to letting Jesus wash you of your sin. And so that's what I want to actually invite you to do right now. Could we just take a time of privacy? Could we just bow our heads and close our eyes right now before we sing and receive communion together? But if you need Jesus to wash you clean of your sin, you want to say yes to Father, because it's not just him washing you free of your sin. It's also you making a cognitive, willful decision to say, I want to follow in the way of Jesus. And it's on the count of three. I just want you to say yes. And as you say yes, as you say verbally say that, Scripture says this, that if we confess Jesus as Lord and we believe in our heart that he was raised from the dead, we are saved. And that as you say yes, what that is saying is I believe who Jesus says he is and I want to follow after him. And really what you're saying is I want Jesus to come and wash me clean. So on the count of three, if you would just... If this is you, you want to follow Jesus, you want to be washed clean of your sins, just say yes to following him. Ready? One, two, three. And listen, if you said yes today, I, I want to lead you in a prayer. And all the prayer is just taking your hand and putting it in Jesus' hand because he's the one that saves. It's not a church. It's, it's, it's not me. It's, it's Jesus. You are, I'm putting your hand in Jesus' hand. Saying he's the one that wants to love you and know you and cleanse you and save you. So if you, would, if you said yesterday, would you just repeat this prayer right after me? And can we just have all of us here join in as a sign of synergy and unity with those that said yes today? Can we just pray this prayer? Say, Jesus, thank you for washing me clean of my sin. Thank you for dying on a cross in my place and for my sin. But then you rose again and defeated Satan's sin and death. So Jesus... In response to what you did, I give you all of me, the good and the bad, all to you. I don't compartmentalize every piece. Thank you, Jesus. I will follow you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen, amen. Lifehouse family, can we just give it up for all those that said yes today? If after today's message you have questions, need help, or just want somebody to talk to or process with, just shoot LifeHouse a text to 757-690-2401. For more information about LifeHouse, you can visit us at lifehouseonline.church. That's lifehouseonline.church.